Nightlife with Philip Clark on ABC Radio. Yes, you're super, eh? My government makes no apologies for pointing out uh, what uh, the future looks like in 10, 20 years' time if there isn't a debate about change. Hang on, isn't this the same government that said there'd be no changes to superannuation? (laughs) I think it was. Prime Minister Anthony Albanese weighing in there on the superannuation debate that was kicked off by Treasurer Jim Chalmers, of course, the day before. So this year, in 2023, our agenda for super goes further. We will try and end the super wars once and for all and make sure that the future changes to the system are compatible with the main objective of super. And doing that requires us to embed superannuation's purpose into law. Yes, well, I'd like to get your thoughts on all this as well. Treasurer Jim Chalmers also said, while the government's immediate focus was on enshrining a definition for super, he flagged that the government wanted to crack down on superannuation tax concessions. These are the concessions that he says are forecast to cost the budget $2.6 billion in 2022-23. Your thoughts on this? Should superannuation be preserved only until we retire? This is what some people had to say, by the way, when asked that question. Superannuation, do you think it's a good idea to let people dip into it when they need it, or should it be preserved until they retire? Yeah, I think it should be preserved because I don't think people can be trusted. You know, if the temptation is there to take it out early, they will, and then they'll be caught short when it's really important. I think it's short-term pain for long-term gain. I think that, you know, if you want a lifestyle or to buy a house, you need to save up for it while you're working. I think they should be allowed to dip into it, depending on the circumstance. What sort of circumstances do you have in mind? Uh, Financial hardship would be one of them. Conversely, um, different investment opportunities. You know, I'm thinking now I'd like to have taken it and got property. Well, from personal experience, I've had to dip into my super a long time time ago, but I only did it once, man, not repeatedly like some people have done. Definitely, because superannuation goes into, like, infrastructure, highways, all that sort of stuff, you know. So I think it's really important that um, it stays in, in the accounts. What about during the uh, pandemic, for example? Yeah, it was released no. then? No, no, that was a bit soft. Yeah, that was a bit soft, I think. People weren't actually at risk of being homeless or anything. They were just stuck at home being bored, mate. Great question. I think it's, like, a way of the government of, like, not actually taking responsibility of, like, actually helping people buy houses rather than being like, oh, you can just, like, use the money that's supposed to be for your retirement. Yeah, well, I'm a, I'm a millennial and I'm seeing a lot of my friends that have been priced out of housing and they a lot of my friends are saying well why can't I use my super they're going to buy an appreciating asset but I just wonder how do you regulate people taking their money out of out of superannuation I'm not sure what the answer is yes well thanks to ABC's PM for that audio to the superannuation industry itself quite supportive of Jim Chalmers attempts to legislate a definition their opposition though is not so happy this is opposition leader Peter Dutton under Labor the proposal is that The super fund can use your money that you've put into your own super fund to buy somebody else a house, but the Treasurer is proposing that you can't use your own super money to help you get into a house as a first home buyer or, as I say, uh, a woman escaping domestic violence or uh, wanting to restart uh, her life after uh, a messy separation. So I, I, I think that's the first point. The second point is that when you hear Jim Chalmers talk about wanting to redesign the market and when you hear about him, uh, you know, talking about superannuation, it's all code for more tax. 
And in the May budget, I suspect we'll see more and more taxes at a time when Australians can afford it less and less. And that's, uh, that's always the price that the tax and spend approach of, uh, uh, of Mr Albanese and Mr Chalmers has been on display, and I suspect you'll see it in May as well. That's uh, the opposition leader, Peter Dutton. Your thoughts tonight? Joining us tonight, Liz Westover, who's a self-managed super funds expert from Deloitte. Uh, Liz, good evening and welcome back to Nightlife. Good evening, Phil. How are you? Not too bad. Your initial thoughts on this announcement from Jim Chalmers? Is, is Peter Dutton right here? When <laughs> when government start talking about this, it's code for we're going to tax you more. Uh, not quite my read on it. Um I think the industry has been after an objective in super for quite some time. We had a crack at it back in 2016, didn't get across the line, change of governments and so forth. So broad support for an objective for super. But my read on this proposal is really it's a um, it's a tool. It's going to be used as a tool. We set an objective. What do we want from super? Then we use it as a tool for assessing future policy development. Um, my read on it is it's not meant to be a hard and fast rule, but of course the risk is that that's the way some people will perceive it, and and maybe well, that. Why locks- do people so keep banging on about this idea that we don't seem to have an objective for super? Everyone knows what super's for. It's it's money for your retirement. Yeah, unless, actually- unless there's some pressing reason to take it out beforehand, which is there's always been that opportunity. I mean, no one's in any confusion or doubt about what superannuation's for, are they? No, I don't think so. And in fact, we have a what we call the sole purpose test in super. Now, that's yeah. an obligation on trustees. So why, why are the government banging on about saying we need to define what super's for then? Well, it's about policy development. So a sole purpose test says superannuation is for the provision of retirement and, and or death benefits in the in the event of someone's death, but that's an obligation on the trustee. Mm-hmm. This is a bigger picture piece. So this is about something we can assess when we're doing future policy development. So come budget time when the government's looking at tinkering again with super and we, we know that change is the only constant in, in super, when they're making those sort of judgment calls, they can go back to this objective, does it meet those objectives and, and, and so forth. The risk is, of course, is that it doesn't appear to be anything in there that obliges them to meet this objective. It is just a tool, an assessment tool is my read on it. So, uh, you know, the proof's in the pudding and does it sort of give people a licence to do things? And, and as we know, um, when you look at the, the definition that they're proposing, there seems to be a lot of things in there that are quite subjective. And, uh, uh, and, and going forward, um, I think that's going to mean different things to different people. Well, yes. I mean, <laughs> people have long thought, oh, well, super's got so big now <laughs> that governments are looking at it thinking, how can we get our hands on some of this? And well, that's what they're planning to do, aren't they? Well, arguably, to me, that would fail the test. And this this uh, um, objective test is if it's about savings. Now, you can put policies in place that might be good for the economy and maybe in a roundabout way you say, well, if it's good for the economy, it's good for, for superannuation funds. So does that meet your objective? Hmm. But the investment itself may not necessarily be in the best interest of a particular super fund or a particular member. So have we passed the test? Um, and that's what I mean by subjective. Can people take this test and and basically make their own assessment against it? one three hundred eight hundred triple two is the number. Now, uh, let's get down to some nitty-gritty and some some actual changes to the system. There's some there's some things happening in super, aren't there? First up, the increase in the transfer balance cap. What's going on here? Yeah, so um Interestingly, not a legislative change by any stretch. What we're seeing is an indexation. So at the moment, we've got a a transfer balance cap is the 
maximum amount that an individual can use to commence an income stream from their superannuation savings during their lifetime. At the moment, that's about 1.7, isn't it? That is correct, $1.7 million. Mm -hmm. And it's always been designed to be indexed in line with uh, CPI. And as you know, inflation in the last uh, period of time has, has been quite high. And so what we have is almost a double uh, indexation going through for this transfer balance cap. And instead of sort of going up in $100,000 intervals, it's actually going up to $1.9 million from the 1st of July, 2023. Is that right? So right, okay. Hmm. Quite a big jump. Um, so an opportunity, a bit of a planning opportunity there for people who are nearing that cap um, in their super savings as to whether or not they commence an income stream this side of the end of financial year. This, just to explain life. that, this, this is the maximum amount you can have in superannuation and you can derive an income from it without paying any tax. Uh, yeah, in a roundabout sort of way. So, so basically you can have, at the moment, there is no limit on how much you can have in a superannuation savings account. So um, there is this cap, though, on how much of that super balance you can use to commence an income stream. Mm. Now, why would you commence an income stream? Obviously, people want to start gradually drawing down on their savings and have a regular income stream to uh, meet their day-to-day livings. But the real benefit of an income stream within the fund is that um, income from assets supporting that income stream is tax-free including capital gains. So if, if a fund is, um, let's say a fund or someone only has $1.7 million in super and they use all of it to commence this income stream, um, then any earnings within their super fund is tax-free and that includes capital gains. Okay. All right. So anyway, that that's important to note that from the 1st of July 2023, if you wanted to commence an income stream in the near future, then... The cap's 1.9. Anything else you should keep in mind? Well, timing's everything. And so with that increase in the transfer balance cap, we use that number to assess a person's ability to make non-concessional contributions into super. So for a lot of people, there may be a renewed opportunity to make more contributions into super. Tell us about what that is. Yeah, so at the moment, um, people can contribute up to $110,000 per annum. Um, as a non-concessional contribution, which is is that after-tax dollars. So we've already paid tax on it. We might have it sitting in a bank account, um, might have just got an inheritance or, or um, you know, sold a, an investment property, for example. So you've got this lump of cash sitting in your bank account and you can put it into your super and it's called a non-concessional contribution. The fund doesn't pay tax on it. You've already paid all the tax outside of super. So it's an annual cap and you can bring forward up to three years uh, so you can do uh, $330,000 in one year where you meet um, meet the uh, criteria. Now, the main criteria is that on the 30th of June, the year before you're making the contribution, your balance had to be less than $1.7 million. So from next year, with the indexation of the transfer balance cap, that threshold now goes up to $1.9 million. So if you have less than $1.9 million in super, you can make you can continue to make non-concessional contributions. So for some people, they might have thought they were out now, that they're always done and dusted in terms of their, their balance to make non-concessionals. There may be a renewed opportunity for those people to go back and review their eligibility. Mm. What about if one partner's got a lot of super and the other one doesn't? Can you transfer money between partners in the same yeah. way? Mm, there's limited opportunities to do that, but but nevertheless, there may be an opportunity depending on the circumstances of a particular couple. So if one one partner, one spouse 
has the ability to withdraw money. So they've satisfied a condition of release, so they've got the ability to withdraw. Mm. And the other has the ability to recontribute that money back into super, then that may be a way of equalising um, their yeah. balances. So for a couple who's got, you know, a couple of million dollars, let's say, in super, you want to try and get both of them to maximise the amount they can use it in an income stream. That's right. So those equalisation measures can be quite useful for that. Yeah, exactly. That's well. That's what I'm thinking of. And so, in that particular instance, though, I say, I mean, if typically, you know, typically, one person's got in excess of one point nine, and the other person's got, you know, five hundred thousand, because that that's often the case with spouses, isn't it? Uh, I see it a lot. Yeah. You know that uh, one person's got more. Uh, in that particular instance, could could the person with more simply transfer the money to the person with less tax free? Unfortunately, it's it's not that straightforward. You can't just transfer balances in uh, in that way. The really, you do have to do it in a way that one person withdraws is mm. you know satisfies a condition at least they're able to withdraw mm. a lump sum out of their super. They basically give it to their spouse, and that spouse needs to have the ability to then contribute it back into super. Mm. Assuming that those conditions can be met, though, that's that's perfectly able to be done. Absolutely, mm. yes. So contribution caps. Uh, are they are these contribution caps going to go up from first of July a bit like uh, the transfer balance cap? Uh, not likely at this stage. They are indexed against a different index, so they are assessed against the AWADI average weekly ordinary times earnings, um, and that hasn't gone up in the same way that CPI has. Mm-hmm. So um, I believe we're still waiting for the figures to come out this month for confirmation, but we're not expecting contribution caps to go out. So they they should basically remain the same which is $27,500 as a concessional contribution and $110,000 as a non-concessional contribution. Mm. If, you're compu- if your employer's uh, contributing, well, as most employers are, are required to, uh, compulsory super, how much can you put in yourself uh, above and beyond that? Yeah, look, it's a good question, Phil. And that $27,500 as a concessional contribution. So if you think about what makes up a concessional contribution, it's basically contributions on which somebody has claimed a tax deduction. So if your employer pays super for you, they're going to claim a tax deduction for mm-hmm. it. If you claim a deduction for personal contributions, then it's a concessional contribution. So if you think of it like that, that's that's what makes up a, a contribution. So all of those sources of contributions, employer contributions, salary sacrifice, personal deductible contributions, you add them all together and you've got to try and or you've got to make sure you stay in under that $27,500. Okay, account. so lots of people say to their pay, pay manager, look, you know, put some money into super before you pay it to me, take it out pre-tax. That's a concessional contribution you're saying, and that you, that that and your employer can't add up to more than twenty seven. Correct, that's right. So you need to you need to make sure you know what your salary is sacrificing, and it's actually probably a good time of year for people to start reviewing those arrangements mm-hmm. um, as we head in towards the end of the financial year, so that if they are, look like exceeding the cap because they've been salary salary sacrificing too much, they can stop that salary sacrifice to make sure they don't go over the cap. So so it's probably a very good time for people to review their arrangements. Hmm. Okay, so yes, all right. So that's right. And if you and conversely, I suppose, if you're not um if it's not working, then then uh, you should probably make some uh, some alterations to that too to make sure you you are making those contributions. 
Well, look, that, that's right. Anything can happen that might impact on on your ability to make contributions or catch up or do more and, and so on. So as I said, it's a good time of year to start reviewing it um, and what's happened in the last year and what do you expect to happen in the next couple of months just to make sure you don't go over those caps. And of course, if you if you aren't salary sacrificing, because not all employers do actually offer salary sacrifice, um, you can make your own personal contributions and claim a deduction on those. Hmm. So, all right. Now, commentary in the media lately about capping the total amount an individual can hold in super and whether government may make any announcements in this year's budget around uh, around this, notwithstanding mm-hmm. the relative merits of the $5 million cap on total super savings. The practical consequences of such a measure might be challenging, mightn't it? Yeah, look, I, I'm uh, quite worried about um, about that cap. So the statistics at the moment is that there's about 11,000 people that are in this, in this bucket, in this cohort of people. Um, most of those are, um, uh, let's say, getting on in age and probably retired and 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 older. Let's say. Um, so the reality is that they are legacy issues because it is going to be extraordinarily difficult for people to get to those kinds of balances ever again. So eventually, when when people do die, that money cannot be retained in the super system, and it will need to come out. And so we will see less and less and less of these types of big funds. Um, so the concern is is bringing in legislation really for a, a, a system that's really going to work it out for itself. Now, maybe we need to, that to happen faster. Um, that's a decision for the government, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but I often worry when we legislate for um, a minority of people, let's say, who ultimately we will see change anyway. Sorry, James from Kingswood. Hi, James. Greetings. I was actually the last interlude. I was actually going to. Um, it was very interesting because that's what I need to listen to. Hmm. Um, self-managed super fund. Um, what I'm trying to do is have some form of self-perpetuation on uh, income. Can I borrow out of my self-managed super fund to pay off one of my uh, family trust loan accounts? Um, yeah, I've got a loan against a property that would, yeah, the interest rate that I would, if I paid the same interest rate that the bank is paying, I would then be able to pay that back, that difference that I've got back, that I've got, a bit complicated here, I've got a self, I've got mm. a, um, what do you call it, a uh, term deposit in the self-managed super fund, take it out of the term deposit, pay the loan off in the, in the family trust and then the difference I could pay back into the self-managed super fund of the interest, which would then give me a tax credit. I don't know whether how much you heard of that from James. Did you hear any of it? No, I'm sorry I didn't. Would James mind repeating the question? <laughs> sorry, no, James, no, can, no, you, and, can you just and, repeat it very briefly for us? Yeah. Very briefly, probably better over time. Uh, self-managed super fund, I've got a term deposit, not happy with the interest rate. I have, we, we, we've got more... Uh, 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 family, a separate family trust account with a loan in it. The uh, can I borrow out of the self-managed super fund to the family trust, and then essentially the price difference of what I'm getting on the term deposit from the self-managed super fund that would then go back into paying the uh, pay into the self-managed super fund as a contribution, therefore, inverted commas, creating a tax credit. Mm, Liz? 
That sounds like a very complicated arrangement, James. But what I will say is in terms of SMSFs, so you want to lend money to your family trust from your fund? Essentially, fund? essentially that's what he's doing. You know? Yeah, right. So the, the answer is a super fund can lend to a related party, but in doing so, it's what we call an in-house asset. And any super fund, any self-managed super fund is limited to lending no more, having in-house assets, sorry, of no more than 5% of the total market value of the fund. So the answer is it's doable. What it is. What's, that, what's that, James? That's very close to what the, lo the loan amount is. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, look, there's, there's more to it, James, too. And, and my advice to a lot of my clients is try not to get too cute about the arrangements that you do. Uh, because we have a lot of anti-avoidance provisions within superannuation law that says if you're trying to do things to circumvent let's say the spirit of the law, you can come unstuck anyway. But but prima facie, you do you you can lend to a related party, not a member, so not an individual, but to a related party, but you're going to be limited to no more than five percent of the fund's assets. And everything always must be on an arm's length basis. Hmm. The terms, conditions, interest rates, the whole shebang must be uh, on arm's length and you need to be able to demonstrate that that okay. is the case. All right, James, thank you. Uh, Kim from Catherine Hill Bay. Hi Kim. Oh, hi, Phil. How are you going? Very well, thanks. Sorry about the dramas here, but I think we've got ourselves no back on the open road again. Go on. And hi, Liz. How are you? Um, Very well. Great you. listening to all the information. So um, my question is, um, I've already started a pension um, income, and so the cap on that is 1.7, which I haven't reached, but I now knowing that it's going to go to 1.9, Am I able to transfer back to accumulation and then transfer back in when I want to start a pension stream again because I'll have more money to go in because I'm doing a downsizer also on mm -hmm. my property I sold on my home? I see, yep, yep. And um, I don't want to cut myself short because in the future I will have more funds to be able to allocate and transfer in. Liz? Yeah, over time. Brilliant, brilliant question, Kim, um, and a very common one at the moment. So the the way the increase in the cap is going to work is that the only people who are going to be able to utilise the full one point nine million dollars is those who do not already have an income stream and have never had one. So okay. your ability to use the any of the indexation will depend on what percentage of the existing cap you haven't used. So so for example, if you've um, if you've started an income stream already for, say, $850,000, then you've got 50% of the cap you haven't used. So you'll be able to use the remainder of that cap plus 50% of the indexed amount. Okay. Okay. So you yes, don't necessarily well, at least need... that's a bit more than um, the 1.7. Yes, yes. So just it's just be mm. careful. Don't assume that you get the full benefit of that $200,000 increase if you've already commenced an income stream it, you do not there's there's no question about that one so make sure you do your calculations correctly um, and there's some other provisions there that says this is what won't help you by commuting back into accumulation and restarting is that they will use the highest um, uh, reported amount that you've ever had in terms of working out what your ability is to use any of the uh, the new cap space okay that I started in pension stream. That's correct, yeah. Mm, okay, because okay. right. I still had some in accumulation. So, 
Okay, well, that answered my question. Thank you. Thanks, Kim. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Jane in West Heidelberg. Hi, Jane. Oh, hi. I was just wondering, slightly different question, but how much in super do you think you'd need to have a sort of generated income of 50000 per annum in retirement? Um, Yeah, another good question. The best place for you to go, Jane, is onto moneysmart.gov.au. So it's it's a website that ASIC actually runs. And there are a multitude of calculators in there that you can use to do exactly those sorts of calculations. So you can put in what your current superannuation is, when you plan to retire, how much um, you, th- you anticipate going into your super, and basically what, how long it's going to last. Um, so it's a bit like, uh, in, in some respects, is how long's a piece of string in terms of life expectancies. So. Um, you know, there's some variables in it like that, but those calculators are amazing and this is very a, helpful. There's an interesting point here, Liz, isn't there? And also to you, Jane, is I think a lot of people think, uh, how much will I could I earn off it? And the sum, the capital sum remains the same. Whereas mm-hmm. most super calculators work on the basis that you will deplete the super and eventually have none of it left. I mean, that would coincide with the end of your life, doesn't it, Liz? Well, yeah. Well, that's that, that, sorry. Yeah, go on, Jane. That sounds very interesting. Does that money smart include part pension that you might get from the government as well? I believe it does, yes, yes. So yeah, okay, really, that sounds very really useful tool. Mm. Yeah. Okay, have a look, Jane. Thank you, one three hundred eight hundred triple two. 800 uh, Peter from Newcastle. Good day, Peter. Oh, yes, uh, good night. How are you going? No, very well, thanks. Yeah, look, I, I've just turned 60, and I was just wondering how my age... Um, affects my ability to make super contributions, particularly lump sums, if our age has makes a difference to that? Uh, at age 60, no, but as you get older, yes, it will. So anyone over the age of 75 at the moment uh, cannot make contributions into super other than um, mandated employer contributions. So if you're still working over the age of 75 and your employer can still make those super guaranteed contributions for you, but you can't make any sort of personal contributions after 75. The next bracket we sort of see is that age 67 to 75. And there's uh, you can do still do employer contributions, salary sacrifice, non-concessional contributions, but you need to pass a work test if you're going to make personal concessional contributions. And the work test says you've got to work 40 hours within a 30 consecutive day period. And then under the age of 67, there's not really any restrictions. Now they're the age tests. There are still other criteria about making those contributions. So earlier I talked about the the maximum super balance you can have to make non-concessionals. So you've got to keep an eye on some of those other eligibility, but but basically in terms of age, that's the way it works. Hmm. So really it's only 330,000 every three years that, I could put into uh, that I could put into super in in a lump sum. Well, you can get a bit um, bit clever about it when you cross over a financial year. So what uh, what some people would do is in this current financial year they might do the one hundred and ten thousand dollar annual contribution, and then on the first of July they can put three hundred and thirty in because it's next year that they're going to trigger that bring forward provision. So that might right. mean you can get 440 in in a in a shorter period of time, but you've just got to make sure that in those financial year brackets you, you're meeting the relevant caps. Oh, okay. Well, thank you. Okay, thanks, Peter. One three hundred eight hundred triple two. Errol, hello, Errol. Oh, greetings, Phil. Huh. Oh, hello there, Liz. 
Hi. Hello. Uh, I fear that I, I might be one of those 13,000 people you referred to earlier on, but I'm not certain, and I would like your advice. Now, this question of the 1.7 and 1.9 million uh, uh, thresholds that you were talking about earlier, mm -hmm. this gets a bit, uh, that's okay with financial assets. However, what happens when there's a property involved? Because so far the tax office has not asked for any valuation. And I, I'm of the opinion that my, the property I have in my SMSF is worth between two and 2.25 already. Okay. Right. So okay. what does that mean, Liz? All right. Um, so it's 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 okay at the moment. Put it that way. Um, we haven't got any legislation in about um, putting restrictions on how much an individual can hold in super, and that's why there is some of these big balances around because no one's okay. saying you can't have. If you're lucky enough to make some really good investment decisions and you grow your super and you're in that that kind of bracket of two or three or four or or, or more million dollars, that's fabulous. That's great. Those one that 1.7 and the 1.9 thresholds that I was talking about earlier is the limit on how much of your super savings you can use to commence an income stream. So in your oh. situation, if you had two and a half million dollars of property, two and a half million dollar property in your fund, and and let's say that's the whole balance of your fund, that can stay in super. It's just you're now going to have a separate account that is effectively a pension account or an income stream account. And so yeah. you'll have two two balances within your super fund, but that doesn't change the underlying assets. You don't have to do anything with the underlying asset. It's just an it's almost like an accounting entry, if you like. We're going to split the 1.7, let's say, off, or your income stream account. So you can have an income stream account and an accumulation account, and then any, any earnings we basically apportion between those two accounts. And the yeah. income that's attributable to the pension becomes tax free. And the income that's attributable to the accumulation will be taxed as normal, which is 15%. Okay, Liz, that's a bit murky in my case because what's happened is that I'm actually living off the rent from this property. Now, what's that considered to be? Because I'm not uh, so, going down on the capital. Um, so you're saying the fund's earning rent and then you're pulling, are you pulling that out of the fund as a lump sum, are you? No, I, I, yes, I take it out for I take the entire rent rent out for living. Uh, yeah, for my oh, okay. now is that deemed to be an um, you know a pension or not? Well, we, you you need to put paperwork in place to say this is what your intention is to commence an income stream, and then you have there's an obligation to withdraw a a minimum amount of your balance of your opening balance at the at the beginning of the year, um, a minimum balance depending on your age. So for someone age 60, for example, they are obliged to withdraw 4% of the balance. And so long yeah. as you are withdrawing that, then that counts towards your your, mm. your pension. You need to go and see someone and get some paperwork set up by the sound of it, Errol. Mm. Absolutely, he does. Yeah. 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 All right, Errol. Don from Mackay. G'day, Don. Oh, hi, Phil. How are you going? Not bad. Hey, uh, my sort of question is I'm sort of approaching that retirement age mm -hmm. and well over it actually, but um, I'm just trying to work out like how do you actually work out and what's the best way financially when you quit work? Um, I mean, with your entitlements type things. Oh, like, you mean what's sorry, the optimal age? In, in, in not the optimal age sort of thing. I'm sort of like 62 at the moment. Right. And I've sort of got oh, was about 40 weeks of long service and annual leave. 
Mm -hmm. And the company also offers the availability to take that out at half pay at double the length of time, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. So financially wise, I mean, is, is it better for me to finish or take the time and use my superannuation and long service leave before I actually, you know, get paid out? Mm, mm. Um, that's a really hard question to answer without knowing, um, you know, what what do you want to do, all your other affairs, what your entitlements are. You might need some specific advice on that, Don, okay. um, around what's right for you. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm unfortunately mm. I can't answer questions. Too many variables. Okay, Mick in Perth. G'day, Mick. Hi, Mick. Hi. Yeah, sorry. That's all right. Hello. Away you go. What's your question? Phil and Liz. Um, Yes, uh, very interesting program. I must have misinterpreted. I spoke to my super people recently, and it was in relation to the amount of money that you can have in your super. And we were speaking about the 1.7 and 1.9 million. But uh, this is the first I heard that you can have more of that. And I think Liz answered my question with having a pension fund and an accumulation fund, because I was some property I was going to sell and uh, likely would put it into super. So I think you've already answered my question there, Liz. Okay. Yeah, right. no, and that's good, Mick. You, what you your misunderstanding there is actually quite common. A lot of people are mistaking this one point seven or one point nine with how much you can have in super, and it's and it's very much not the case. No, it's and just so, that if, it's just that this is a, that's the maximum amount you can have if you want a tax free income stream offered. Well, it's it's the commencement value too, Phil. That's don't right. forget. Yeah. So so a lot of people will grow that balance. So you you could actually have a two million dollar, for example income stream, so long as your commencement value was no more than those transfer balance caps. Sure, okay. Text questions, can I put my investment property into a self-managed super fund? Uh, no problem with an SMSF having investment property. In fact, that's very common. You've got to be really careful if you already own an investment property. So an SMSF cannot acquire a residential property from a related party, but it can acquire commercial property from a related party. What does that mean? You mean the you super you can't sell your holiday house into your super fund? Basically, that's exactly right. Yeah, mm. yeah. But if you had, for example, if someone had a um, maybe a, a doctor's surgery, a doctor, for example, they might own the the premises for which they practice. Mm -hmm. They could sell that because that's considered business real property, is what we call it. Um, so it's commercial property. What about if you didn't have a holiday house, but you bought one and put and bought it in the name of the super fund? Is that all right? That absolutely is all right. But so that means you can't right. go and stay in it, doesn't it? That's correct. That's right. That's exactly right. Yes, you have to lease it out to an unrelated party. Um, and commercial property is quite the opposite. So a lot of people, you, not only can you buy that commercial property or your fund can buy that commercial property from yourself, it can you can actually, the fund can then lease it back to a related party. And we see that arrangement quite frequently. <laughs> All right. Russell from Wynyard. Hi, Russell. Hi, Russell. Yeah, hello. How hey. are you? Yeah, good day. Not bad. That's all right. Just thought I'd ask a question. Mm -hmm. Um <clears throat> It would appear that I'm going to get a, a back pay of a sub, substantial amount of money, mm -hmm. right? And I want to know if I can uh, put that into my super, right? Mm -hmm. And direct it into my super. And then if it goes into my super, like uh, su super sacrifice it into my super, mm -hmm. and if that happens, can I then give half of that money to my wife? Liz? Yeah. Um, okay. So if you are getting a an amount of money um, from this back pay, um, you you effectively give it to your wife, and she can contribute it to super. So same as you, you you can contribute it to super. So you could make the most of those non concessional contribution caps we spoke about. 
So you could do that. And if you effectively gifted it to your wife or part of it to your wife, she could contribute as well. So you don't want to put it into super and then try and split it. You give it to her before right. and then you give it to her beforehand. Correct. Yeah. So, so right. So I, I get the money, right? I solely sacrifice it into my super and then I give it to my wife, half of it to my wife, right? And mm-hmm. then... then and and then my wife can have that money. Uh, so you're saying this back pay is coming from your employer, is it? Yes, it is. But it's coming to oh, you in your in your pay, pay, pay pa- in your pay packet, isn't it, Russell? Yeah. So, yeah so it will be. But yeah. I have the opportunity. I have the opportunity to salary sacrifice that, that okay, money. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. So but, I think is I think Russell's question is if it gets salary sacrificed and goes into his super, can he then give half of it out of his super? But it's. Liz, I think that's going to be more complicated, isn't it? Yeah, there's a lot at play there and there's probably a couple of options that are available to you, Russell. But the short answer is that you can um, split contributions to a spouse after you've you've made it, but it's concessional contribution. So if you if it went in as a concessional contribution, you can then tell your fund, actually, I want you to split this to my wife's account and they will uh, be able to split. This is this is how this is concessional contributions. Eighty-five percent of whatever it is goes in can be split to a spouse. So it's basically because there's going to be fifteen percent tax on it that goes off to the government. There's eighty-five percent left. You can split that to a to a spouse. So that is one of the um, one of the areas where you can actually transfer to a spouse. But it goes. It so it counts towards your cap in the year you make it, and then effectively gets split to them to the spouse in the following year. Right. So I should get advice on it. You should. And, and the, the the volume, I'm not sure what you, when you say a rather large back pay, it depends on how big you mean. Because as we said, there's that $27,500 cap in concessional contributions. You don't want to breach that cap. Yeah, right. Okay. All right. Thank you very Thanks, much. Thanks, Russell. Bye-bye. one three hundred eight hundred triple two. 800 uh, From Armadale, Anthony's on the line. Hi, Anthony. Hello there. Thanks for taking my call, Phil. Pleasure. Uh, hello, Liz. How are you? Hi, Anthony. Hi. I got a couple of questions that I want to ask. So I have some money in fixed deposit. Uh, I'm over 60. Uh, and uh, I would like to know what the advantage would be if I put them as non-concessional contribution into my super as opposed to the income that I earn from the fixed deposit that I have with the bank. Yeah. Uh, it all comes down to your marginal tax rate basically. So if you're paying tax on your earnings at a rate that's greater than 15%, um, then you may be better off putting it into super because the super fund is only ever going to pay uh, 15% tax on the interest from that deposit. So if you're, does that make sense? So if you're, um, if you're a high income earner and you're paying 47 cents in the dollar in tax on the, that interest, then you're better off putting it into super where you're only going to pay 15%. So it's a, it's a tax arbitrage situation right so so uh, uh, yes I am a high income earner and of course I have the money in fixed deposits and it's paying me about 4.5 percent at the moment given yep. what the interest rates are at the moment so if I pull that out and put it into super the advantage that I have is I could uh, maximize that uh, contribution as a non-concessional amount into super and maximize my super going forward is that right yeah, that's right. So you could you could take it out, put it in as a non-concessional. When it's in super, if it's assuming you're going to get the same returns in your super fund, so we're talking like for like, then it's yeah. the tax issue. 
But bearing in mind, the reason we get those tax concessions in super is the trade-off is that you're locking your money away until you satisfy a condition of release. So yeah. it's not like you will have ready access to that money when it's in super in the way you would if it was outside of super, and that's the big trade-off for you. Right. And the second question that I have very quickly is obviously, uh, you know, I have a financial advisor that looks after my super um, deals or super situation. What What's the security that I have when I have a financial uh, advisor and who has access to my super account to uh, to invest in the way that uh, the financial advisor has uh, planned for me. So is my money safe from uh, someone having access to uh, to um, taking it out and investing in various um, shares and trusts and uh, cash and, and, and portfolio? Mm. So you're talking about someone who might, might steal you? You're talking about fraud? Is that what you're... Yeah, well, that's that's one thing that I'm thinking of yeah. because obviously, obviously, the financial advisor has access to my hmm. my super account for investment purposes. But can hmm. that can that turn out to be a fraudulent activity? What guarantees do I have in that regard, and how is the super fund able to monitor that uh, on my behalf? Yeah, look, <laughs> great question, Anthony. It's and I don't know what the answer is. Is fraud is such a, a a hard thing to protect against. If you have any concerns about your financial advisor, you may need to reconsider who that who your advisor is. Uh, and the other option is um, cutting off access to to your bank accounts if 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 that's the case. So, you know, I think we all have to take a sensible approach to these things to protect our own assets. If you have concerns, then then maybe it's time to move. Um, it, you know, it's up to you what level of access you allow them. Hmm. Okay, thanks, uh, thanks, Anthony. Um, uh, Amanda from Castlemaine. Hi, Amanda. Hello. How are you going? Very well, thanks. Yeah, that's good. Um, yeah, look, I'm just um, having um, recently sold a property, and I need to pay thirty-three thousand in capital gains tax. Mm -hmm. And Liz mentioned something earlier about capital gains and superannuation and I didn't quite understand what she said is is there some connection there that you can or she mentioned it earlier tonight yeah I think what I was talking about earlier was um, when you've got those income streams on foot and the earnings from or the income from assets supporting those income streams are being tax-free and I said including capital gains so if you had already made that capital gain in your super fund and the, and the fund was paying an income stream, then capital gains tax is, is applied at a zero rate. So there is no capital gains tax. But unfortunately, if you've already made that capital gain, there's there's not a lot you can do um, to eliminate that capital gain. The only other thing you might consider is if you'd made a contribution, you could make a concessional contribution subject to whatever else is going on and employer contributions and so forth. But what a lot of people do is make a contribution, a concessional contribution, claim a tax deduction, and that can help offset um, some of the capital gains tax that you might otherwise pay. Mm. Okay, okay, thank you. Thanks, Amanda. Just before we go, Liz, too, um, just a couple of questions on estate planning. It's very important to realise that your super does not form part of your estate when you die, does it? Uh, you need to make a binding uh, declaration of where it goes and it can't be left to anybody uh, either, can it? That's correct. So there's only certain people that can receive death benefits from, from your super. So it's a spouse, children, and those people in a financial or financial 
dependence or those in an interdependent mm. relationship. There's only so how do you leave your super to your kids? Uh, so you can leave them to you can actually leave it to your kids. Okay. So it's spouse, children. Um, the thing you've got to remember is if it goes to an adult child, there's likely to be a tax component, so tax payable. That's right. Super. Super's got a death tax, isn't it? We do have a death tax in super. That's mm. right. Um, so you, you need to be really careful. At some point for older people or someone who is diagnosed with an illness, there is merit in pulling all of their super out and paying no tax at that point in time or, or hopefully that's right. no tax. If, that's right. If you really want to give it to someone yeah. and, you're, and you feel you're on your way out, you, yeah. re, you really are best advised to take the money out uh, take it all out of super and, and then just give it to the person then then and yeah. there. In most cases, Phil, that is correct. But what you've got mm. to be really careful of is that wills are, can be contested. Mm. And so once your super goes into your estate and, and to, to be distributed as per your will, people can contest it. Mm. In super, it's a lot harder to challenge because there's only certain eligible people who can sure, receive it in sure. the first instance. So all right. all right, Liz, time has beaten us, but we did manage to traverse a lot of country, a lot of territory anyway. So, Liz, thank you very much. My pleasure. Thanks, Phil. Thank you, Liz Westover from Deloitte. We'll get Liz back. She's good, isn't she? Uh, We'll get her back uh, down the track. You've been listening to a Nightlife podcast. For more great conversations about the issues that impact you, as well as features on travel and food, head to the Nightlife webpage. You'll find it at abc.net.au slash nightlife. You don't need to be a night owl to enjoy the nightlife. 